The journey of Christian maturity involves an intentional life that is an ordered and collaborative effort with God. Join us for a fall series, Formed, the Reshaping of a Life. Uh, it's good to see all of you here this morning. Good to see the Podrishners. Actually, I don't see the Podrishners, but good to have Podrishners joining in with us. And uh, bless you as you are listening to this, doing the dishes or bike riding or whatever you do when you're listening to messages here. Uh, this message is brought to you by Pink Floyd. Um, I, I, I never know, okay, so when I get dressed, this morning it was like 3, 4 in the morning, and that's when I woke up, and Shelly's always sleeping, so it's dark, I don't want to wake her up, so I just kind of like reach and grab a t-shirt, and um, I didn't realize that this was the one I was, had until people started commenting on it, uh, and that's turned out to be one of my favorite bands, um, some of you are old enough to know Pink Floyd, I, I, but I hear these kind of, the, the, yes, <laughs> wasting away the moments that make up a dull day, you fritter and waste the hours in an offhand way. Uh, this, uh, you, you, you're running around to catch up with the sun, but it's sinking, uh, racing around to come up behind you again. The sun is the same in a relative way, but you're older, shorter breath, and one day closer to death. Oh, yes, it's just, oh, it's just dreamy. I can remember that. Mm. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what was going on as I was listening to it, but uh, there you go. And that's neither here nor there. We're in a, a series on spiritual formation. And I want to start by re recalling this analogy that I gave in the very first message, because I'll be referring to it at some points uh, throughout this message. Um, Michelangelo, when he would uh, get ready to create a sculpture, would look at, there you are, this is what Michelangelo did. I I'll get to that. That's my beautiful artistic drawing. Um, Yes, you'll see how that applies here in a second. He would look at the rock, and he would see the sculpture in the rock. He said he could see it as vividly as if it was outside the rock. And his only job was not to create the sculpture out of the rock, but to free the sculpture from the rock. And so he would carve off everything that was not the sculpture, and so others could not see what he sees. And this is really what, what's going on in our walk with God. Um, we're not trying to become something we're not. Rather, when we're in Christ, God gives us everything up front. Um, we are, we have this true self as we are in Christ. But the thing is, is that we are encased in a whole lot of stuff when we come to Christ. We're, we're embalmed or entombed in a rock. Um, the true you is the you that is in Christ, as I've elegantly drawn there. Uh, but you come to this with uh, uh, wounds. That should be wounds, not wounds. <laughs> I, I, okay, this was, our, our tech team is so great. Uh, this was drawn about eight minutes before the service started. I, the, you guys are getting something the first two services didn't have because uh, this just came to me. Actually, a, a lady came up with the idea, drew, drew a picture. I had, that is really great, so I want to use it. So I drew that quickly, and therefore it's all spelled wrong. It should be upbringing, not you bring it. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> Although that might apply too. This is all what the Bible calls the, the flesh, right? Paul calls sarks, the flesh. So we're encased in this, of all these lies. And the job is not to create something new. It's rather to just free the true you from all the garbage that you bring to it. All the lies, all the wounds, uh, and all the false stuff. It's about working with the Spirit to shave all that off. And all the disciplines of the church, the things that the church has practiced throughout history. Uh, Dallas Willard talks about them in his book, Spirit of the Disciplines. Um, they're all rooted in Scripture, and they're all there to simply help people, empower people to work with the Spirit and getting rid of all the stuff that's not the true you and shedding all of that. And so as we shared last week, there's disciplines that are about affirmation, where you say yes to what God says yes to, and there's disciplines of negation where you say no to everything God says no to. And we dealt with the, the disciplines of negation last week. This is going to be this week's on uh, the uh, disciplines of affirmation. But I don't want to really want to talk about any particular discipline of affirmation. I want to talk about something that is, I think, a presupposition of all of them. 
It is a topic that is as foundational and as important as any topic could be. All the more so because what I'll be speaking on here this morning is something that we hardly ever, ever talk about. Uh, and, and because of that, um, I, I, it leaves a lot of people hurting and, and short, come up short on, on some stuff. Um, it's a topic I come back to with some regularity. Every year or two I talk on this because it's the kind of thing you need to review regularly. Um, it's easy to forget about this and to fall back into old ways of thinking. And if you're new here, if, if like this, you've been here for a year or less or two years or less, you probably have never heard this thing before. And it may sound a little weird to you. Uh, and I just encourage you to hear me out on this. Um, I think you'll find that it's deeply biblical. And if you apply this to your life, uh, it can be profoundly transforming. I have get testimonies about this uh, with, with some regularity. Uh, uh, the book uh, Sig is Believing addresses this topic, and the book Escaping the Matrix that I wrote with L. Larson addresses this topic, and it's about the imagination, the role of the imagination in spiritual formation. Um, here, here's the thing. I talked with a guy uh, a couple weeks ago, really good guy, bright guy, uh, committed, committed young man, and he's wrestling with some doubts. Uh, the doubts weren't due to any particular intellectual challenge that he faced. It, he, he felt he had really good reasons for believing that Christian faith is true, and he does. The doubts rather came because uh, he says, while he believes it all is true, it doesn't feel true. It doesn't feel real. It never feels real to him. I'm thinking that there's some people listening to this message this weekend who can identify with that. He hears people talk about the presence of God, the beautiful presence of God, but he never feels the presence of God. He begins to wonder if people are making it up. And people talk about experiencing the love of God and getting their whole life from Christ like we did earlier and entering that cloud, the presence of God, and beholding the glory of God. But he never experiences any of that. It, it doesn't seem real to him. He believes it's true, but he doesn't experience it as true. He said it feels like his whole Christianity is nothing but a set of behaviors that he does, that he engages in out of obligation. Uh, and that's admirable, to keep on plowing ahead, even though you don't sense any of the reality of it. That's admirable, but, but that's not the way I think it was supposed to be. And so he's wondering, is there something wrong with me? Or maybe this whole thing is just, uh, we're kidding ourselves. It's not really real. Now, here's what I shared with him. I found over the last several decades in ministry this. If you, if you, if you divide people into two groups, and this is overly simplistic, but just work with me here. Group number one, they get into worship, they love to worship, and they get into prayer, and they love to pray, pray, and they can do it all day, and it means something to them, and it impacts them. Whereas group number two, they worship and pray, but only because they have to. It's a duty. They never experience anything real in it. Um, you know, they, they, just, they, they just plow forward and ask, what is, the what is the difference between these two groups? If you ask the right questions, get on the inside of their heads. Ask, ask, what's the difference here? Now, you might think that, that group number one is simply more godly than group number two. Oh, these are the spiritual people. Look, they really get into worship and prayer. But I found that that's not the case. Sometimes the people in group number two who are just doing it out of duty are actually more committed than the people in group number one because it takes a lot of commitment to keep doing a behavior that doesn't have any payoff whatsoever. They just keep on plowing forward and, 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 and in all sincerity. The difference I have found is, the primary difference anyways, is that there's something going on in between the ears of group number one that is not going on in the, between the ears of group number two. 
For whatever reasons, they just never got in on this thing that group number one has. And most people in group number one don't even know that they're doing this. But what's happening is that when they enter into worship, they're seeing who they worship, and they're seeing and experiencing what they're worshiping about. And when they enter into prayer, they, they imagine Jesus, and they're talking to Jesus the way you talk to a friend. And, and see, it's, it's concrete, and it's real, and therefore it's impacting. And throughout church history, they referred to the imagination as the inner sanctum, uh, as the inner sanctuary. It's the portal by which you access the spiritual realm. And these folks just sort of did this, whether they were taught that or not. Uh, this is just the way they do worship, and so it's impacting. Whereas this, the second group, when they worship, uh, they're just singing songs in a room full of other people. And that, that's, that's a total thing that they're experiencing. And when they pray, they're just praying to a wall. Now, they believe they're praying to God, but it's not, it doesn't feel real to them because there's nothing else going on in their imaginations. And so they just see the wall and... Kind of like talking to a wall. Now, if you're talking to a wall, it, it's hard to do that for five minutes, uh, let alone for an hour or something. Whereas the first group that it get, enters into their imagination, they can go for an hour or longer, and, and they're enjoying it. Uh, the second group that it doesn't have the imagination thing going on, they will always find that their minds get distracted. See, our, our minds are wired to attend to what we feel is important. And... Things that feel real to us always feel more important than things that don't, regardless of what you believe. So you can believe you're talking to God, but if, if, if there's no sense of reality there, then your mind's going to gravitate towards things that are real, like you need to mow the lawn or fix the toilet or go grocery shopping or what have you. So the mind's going to be gravitating towards that. And then you notice that your mind is slipping away and you feel bad, so you try to focus on praying to God. But it's always going to be pulling you in a direction of what seems more real. St. Francis of Sales, he's a 16th century uh, monk, said this about the imagination. And this tells you that imagination isn't a new concept. The church has talked about this throughout church history. Origin. Everything I'm saying today, basically origin said in the second century. Um, but here's what he says. He says, by means of the imagination, we can find our mind within the mystery on which we meditate that it may not ramble to and fro. I got to do the dishes. Oh, the lawn needs fixing here. What did John mean when he said this? I wonder. Now, just as we shut up a bird in a cage or tie a hawk by his leash so that he may rest on the hand. So St. Francis is saying this, that the mind's going to be wandering all over the place unless you are using your imagination in prayer. And that imagination will captivate your thought. It's bringing every thought captive to Jesus Christ. Imagination, he saw, was the key, staying focused in prayer, because that's what makes it seem real. See, this is so foundational, because folks, this is how we think. Imagination isn't something we do on occasion. We do it all the time. It's called thinking. If I ask you, uh, what's the first thing you did when you got out of bed this morning? You know, you probably know what that is. But how did you access that information? You didn't just see a bunch of information in your head that said, oh yeah, when I got out of bed, I knelt down and prayed, or I went to the bathroom, or I did eight push-ups. No, you, you actually, what you did was, whether you know, know it or not, if you introspect, you'll see that this is the case. You, you re-experienced yourself getting out of bed. You saw yourself getting out of bed and getting on your knees and doing push-ups and, and going to the bathroom or whatever. This is how we think. We represent something in our mind. Imagination is simply the mind's ability to entertain images. Uh, even though the thing's not in front of you. You can imagine it. You can image it. And this is how we think. We represent something that's not in front of us as though it was in front of us. We re-experience it again. That word represent means to re-present, right? To make present again. So you made present again the first thing that you did when you got out of bed. You saw it. You re-experienced it. In fact, 
we know now from, from neuropsychology that the same neural nets that were activated when you got out of bed get activated when you think about how you got out of bed. Okay? You're re-experiencing it. Um, this is simply how we think. What's the first, what'd you have for breakfast this morning? Ah, see, you just saw yourself eating Cheerios or pancakes or whatever. Uh, we, we think by replicating our experiences of the outside world in, in, inside. This is how we do thought. You can't think without this. This is how we think about the future. Uh, what, what, what do you plan on doing uh, right after the service? Tim is saying, going to go watch the Vikings play football. Who are they playing this week? Rams. Okay, they're, they're going to, he, he's imagining them just slaughtering the Rams. Vikings slaughtered the Rams. How appropriate. So, uh, so, but see, to access that, my son-in-law, Tim, he, 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 he previewed it. Uh, he, he thought, okay, what am I going to do? He saw himself sitting down and watching the Vikings uh, beat up the Rams. This, you know, this, and, 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 and so he's anticipating this. It's thinking as if you were already there. Just like when you remember, you think as if you were back there. In future thinking, you think as if you were already there. You're experiencing that ahead of time. You're using the role of imagination. Everything we do is, is, involves this. And here's the thing. The more vivid the image, the more it impacts you. The more vivid the image, the more real-like, the more concrete, the more it impacts you, the more it affects you. Um, and the more it, it, it moves you in, in one direction or another. Uh, information doesn't do this. It's what you actually envision. It's the tapes and the movies that you run in your head, and we're doing that all the time. Uh, that is what uh, impacts us. So here's the thing. Uh, Shelly, my wife, uh, has a interesting relationship with my dog, Max. Um, she loves this dog. I love the dog, too. It's a very cute dog. But, like, Max worships Shelly. Uh, Max is so, stares at her all the time, just all day long, like an act of devotion. Uh, Max won't even go out for a walk with me now unless Shelly comes with. You know, it's like, I cannot leave my deity. So, the, she has this game that she plays with Max. It's the cutest thing in the world. It's the cutest thing in the world. Uh, Shelly calls it the freeze game. And, and, and what she does is, uh, uh, and Max will encourage her to do it. Max will all of a sudden you know, stand still. So then Shelly will get on all fours like this. And then and she'll like, go like this. And then Max will go like that. And then she'll go like this. And then Max will go like that. And then maybe Max will do it, do it, run around a little bit. And then she'll run around. They marry each other, you know, back and forth. And then they freeze. And they won't make eye contact. They have to look kind of sideways. <laughs> and, and sometimes Shelly will go, and then she'll go, and it's, and it's the cutest thing. And I don't know what the point of the thing is. I didn't have a point. It's a dog thing. It's like, what, who wins? Who knows? But... So she was, she, was, she was doing this the other day, and it was just so charming. It was so, I just enjoy watching it. It's so cute. She gets so into the dog. Now, here's the thing. If, if I got a piece of paper and I read some information, just sheer information, it says, Shelly played with Max on Friday. Um, I, would, I would have a vague, a vague image of her playing with Max, because otherwise I wouldn't know what the sentence meant. But it would be vague. If it's just information, it wouldn't move me. It's just a, a fact. Shelly played with the dog. Oh, so Who cares? But if I pause and now attend to that memory, and I go back to it and I imagine it vividly, just as it happened, I see that it's in color, it's in motion, it's not a still frame, and I can hear her growling, and he growls back, and they're playing, they're going back and forth, and as I concretely enter that memory, which I'm using my imagination to do this, it evokes fondness in me, the fondness that I experienced watching her, and how cute it was, and how much I love her, and I feel that again. Because, see, the feeling is part of what I experienced, and so it's part of what I remember, the more real like the, the image is. So all of our thinking involves imagination, and the more vivid the image is, the more it impacts us, the more it moves us. Uh, you know, you, you, you find this, uh, that uh, 
People who are in good marriages tend to, uh, when they're away from each other, um, they think about each other in positive terms, in positive ways. They, they recall positive experiences, and they do it vividly uh, in real life. And, and so they re-experience the positiveness of their time together. And so when they come together after being apart all day, they bring with them a day long of positive kind of memories. They're re-experiencing the positives. And so they come together with those positive feelings, which really increases the probability that they're going to have another positive experience to add to their repertoire of positive experiences. So their marriage is like having a snowball effect of positivity. People in bad marriages, they also think about each other all day long. Yeah, you know where we're going with this. But see, what they remember are the negative stuff. They ruminate on it. Maybe some of you are in this kind of situation. You just can't believe she did that whole inconsistent. I can't believe I could have married anyone else. I can't, why, why did I? I suck a rug and suck a rug. And you're just ruining it. And, and, and these folks see the negative vividly. They're re-experiencing the negative over and over again. And so when they come together, guess what? They got a day long's worth of re-experiencing negative stuff, and they bring a lot of negative emotion together, which really is going to make it hard to have a positive experience. Most likely, they're going to have another negative experience to contribute to the repertoire of negative experiences that they can now ruminate on the next day. And so they're on a snowball effect going in a negative direction. Um, this is how we think. And the more vividly we think, the more, the more it, it influences the quality of our life and the direction of our life and the quality of our marriages. That's why people who are in bad marriages, one of the first things you've got to do is to start changing the way you think about the marriage and you think about the other person. And look for something positive to think about and focus on that and try to minimize the negatives uh, to begin to turn this ship around. Uh, this is the difference between optimist and pessimist. Take an optimistic person. They are thinking about the future vividly, concretely, like we all do. Uh, but they're, they're envisioning a, a best-case scenario, a positive outcome. And, and so they, they create a, a positive motivation to move in that direction. They've got uh, confidence as they move into the future. They're experiencing the, the joy of a good future in the present. Pessimistic people do the opposite. They also run, uh, when they think about the future, they imagine it, because there's another way to think about the future. You're imagining it. You're putting yourself there. It's as if you were already there. And, and what they're doing is that they're experiencing the pain of a worst-case scenario ahead of time. They're entering into that vividly and concretely, and so they're filled with anxiety. You would be if you were going to be facing this kind of a future. Um, I always say worrying is simply experiencing the pain of a future worst-case scenario ahead of time. Why wait? You can be miserable now. And so you're pulling the misery of the future into the present. This is how we think. This is how we think. All thought is like this. It's why memories can be so powerful. When important things happen to us, our brain locks it in. Remember, remember this. For, for better or for worse. And see, memories are coded vividly, and, and they're, they're, they're concrete realities. And under the right circumstances, they get triggered. When something that was like that, that happened in the past, happens, your brain triggers that memory. And usually, we, we experience these flashes of images too quickly to even notice them. They happen at one, our mind can flash uh, images at one three thousandths of a second, whereas our conscious mind can only be aware of seven to nine pieces of information per second, which is why we're not usually aware of the images that our brain's flashing before us, unless we are consciously trying to notice that. But what we do experience is a feeling the emotion that they create. Um, this is why people can all of a sudden, something happens and they don't know why, but they're all of a sudden kind of nervous or they're in a bad mood or they're all of a sudden in a good mood or, or you know, they're, 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 they're depressed, whatever. Uh, they don't know why, but it's all about what's happening between your ears. It, memories can be very powerful. Like this lady that I knew, uh, she had this fear of flying, a terrible fear of flying, could not get on a plane. 
Um, she was a smart lady, and she knew all the information about planes, that they're actually safer than cars, but for some reason, she, couldn't, she would panic at the thought of getting on a plane. Now, after some work, she learned that this all went back to a memory that she actually had forgotten about for, for decades. When she was about five years old, she was watching a news report with her dad, and they had a news report about a crashed plane, a terrible uh, plane crash. Now, 999 kids out of 1,000 would not have, that wouldn't have meant anything to them. They would have gone in one ear out and out the other. But, uh, but for some reason, this young girl fixated on that. Her brain locked it in. She empathized with the victim. She put herself there. She imagined herself in that crash. And her brain locked in the message, be afraid, be very, very afraid. Planes are very dangerous. Now, that's encoded as a concrete thing, vivid, and so it, it impacts her. The rest of her brain evolves, but see, once your brain locks something in, it, it, it goes on autopilot and will not change that message until you intentionally change it. It goes on autopilot. So here she is, going along normal life, except when it comes to planes and the, the prospect of getting on a plane or a discussion about a plane. What happens is she's back in that memory. She's five years old again. She's, she's experiencing the terror of a five-year-old, and she doesn't know it because it's happening too fast for her to notice it, but she feels the fear. And it, it affects her life in some drastic ways. She, can't, she couldn't, at this time, get on a plane. Now, fortunately, we are able, with, with, with some help, to find out what memories are shaping us and determining the quality of our life and the direction of our life. And there's ways of altering that. You can't change the past, but you can change the meaning of the past. Uh, I wrote a book on, on this with Al Larson. mentioned it earlier, I think. Uh, uh, Escaping the Matrix. If you want to kind of get some techniques on how to, how to readjust some of this, uh, you have authority over that. But all thinking is with images, and it's what goes on between our ears. The soundtracks that we play, the movies that we play, the videos that we play, that determine the quality and direction of our life. So folks, when Paul says, take every thought captive to Jesus Christ, uh, 2, Timothy 10, or 2 Corinthians 10, he's saying, since all thought involves imagination, take imag your imagination, take all images captive to Jesus Christ. Be aware of what you're imagining and make sure that it's under the authority of Jesus Christ. Be captivated, like St. Francis said. Uh, like a bird shut up in the cage. Take that thing and, and shut up in the cage of your imagination. Let it all be subject to Christ. And when Paul says, Philippians 4, 8, whatsoever things are good and whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are true, think on those things. Well, what, what that then means is he's saying imagine. Make sure you're disciplined about imagining what is good and what is lovely and what is noble and what is true. When Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, what that then means, since all thought involves imagination, is be transformed by the renewing of your imagination. Be intentional about what you're imagining, about what you're seeing. And this, we're going to find, is, is the key to getting that sculpture out of the rock that encases it. Because, folks, this is the essence of faith. So, so far, you've learned a little bit about psychology. Now you're going to learn some Greek. See, this church, we're just so smart around here. You come here and you learn psychology and Greek, Bible, all, all in one. Man, at no extra price. So, so good for you. So here, here's, here's the thing. I'm going to learn a couple of Greek words. Hebrews 11, verse 1, a verse I come back to and write with regularity because it's so foundational and yet so rarely applied in helpful ways. Here the author says that faith is the substantiating. The word there is hypostasis. Everyone say hypostasis. All right, very good, good. Uh, it's a hypostasis of things that are hoped for or anticipated. El piso, everyone say el piso. El piso. Good. And it's the conviction, el legcos. And you guys are good. Of things not seen. Okay, look at this. Faith is the substantiating of things you anticipate, things that you believe to be true, things that you are uh, expecting. 
Faith is about seeing as a substantial reality, as a concrete thing. The word hypostasis means substance or essence or, 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 or foundation, solid or foundation. So it's seeing something as a solidity, as what was real, something that you anticipate, something you believe to be true, something you elpizo. You elpizo it, and so you envision it as a substantial reality. And that then creates in you the conviction, elegkos, that it will be so, that it is true. It feels real to you as you vividly imagine that which you anticipate to be true, that's that which you expect to be true. And this, folks, isn't just a religious thing, it's a life thing. When Jesus says, according to your faith be unto you, he's talking about a life principle. It's not a distinctly religious principle. Everybody exercises faith all the time. It's, 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 uh, it's in, intrinsic to all of our life. It's, it's behind every action that we do. We have faith. So when I get on a plane, I have no worries in the world. I fall right asleep. I am as confident as can be. Despite the fact that I have information that tells me that once in a while these things blow up, a la this last week. Well, I know that they blow up, but see, information doesn't impact you. It's what you actually envision. And I envision, though I'm not usually aware of this, I envision the plane taking off. And so that creates in me the, uh, my hypostasis is of the plane flying. And so my, uh, my leg cost, my conviction is that it's going to fly and I feel safe. The poor lady that I mentioned earlier, she's got the information that planes are actually safer than cars, and they usually, they very rarely blow up. But nevertheless, what she has faith for is that the plane's going to crash. Uh, from a perspective of a five-year-old, uh, she, she enters into that memory, and she experiences the terror of that five-year-old uh, seeing herself in this plane crash. And so she's having faith. She has a substantial reality that the plane's going to crash. It creates in her conviction that it will be so, and she can't get on a plane. According to her faith be done to you. The... What you're running between your ears is going to determine what you do or what you don't do, what you move towards and what you move away from. The quality of your life and the direction of your life. It's all about what's going on between your ears. What are you having faith for? Everyone has faith. If you ever meet a person that says, oh, I'm not a person of faith, just say, wrong. <laughs> you, you get on planes, you know. You, you drive a car. Everything takes faith. You're envisioning stuff. That's how you move into the future. The couples that are the good couple in the, 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 couple in the good marriage and the couple in the bad marriage, well, they're both exercising faith. The couple in the good marriage is exercising faith in a good marriage. They anticipate, el piso, that they're going to have a good marriage. So they hypostasis a good marriage. They envision that over and over again. And uh, that creates in them the conviction that's going to be positive. And guess what? According to your faith be done to you. They got a snowball effect going in a positive direction. Whereas the couple in a bad marriage, they're also exercising faith just as strongly, but in other stuff. They're having faith that this is going to be a miserable marriage. And they review that all the time as a substantial reality that creates in them the conviction that it will be so. And they bring that into the marriage, and guess what? It is so. Uh, you can have people who are in marriages. In fact, I was in a marriage like this. Thankfully, it, it changed. But, but uh, where you want to make the marriage work, you want to live happily ever after, or at least something remotely like that, uh, you're trying to make it work. You're in counseling, but without knowing it, you're having faith that it won't work. You're sabotaging the whole thing because you keep on running the movies of the negative stuff, creating the conviction that it will be so, and so you bring that into it, and it, it's, it, it is so, according to your faith be done to you. So it's so important if folks are in bad marriages and you want to turn that around, you got to start having faith uh, in, in a different kind of marriage, envisioning a different future as a substantial reality to create a conviction that that will be so, which gives you the energy and the motivation to move towards that reality. Everything that we do is, is, is motivated by faith one way or another. The optimist is having faith for a positive future. The pessimist is having faith for a negative future. Seeing it as a substantial reality, and it creates a conviction that it will be so. According to your faith be done to you. And that... This is why faith sets the direction and quality of our life. 
It's not, it's, not, it's not what we know or just merely believe as information that affects the quality of our life. It's, it's what we're actually doing in our head, how we're actually thinking, what actually is being made concrete. And see, here's the thing, folks. If we're not intentional about what we think, uh, then our brain just does autopilot on, on the basis of what it inherited from the world. If we're not intentional about what we have faith for, we'll simply have the faith that we were taught to have being raised in this screwed up world. So we've got all those false tapes and lies and messages and wounds and scars and all the stuff that's, that, that's dumped into our brain. And if we're not intentional about what, what we're concretely seeing and hearing and the movies we're running and all that in our head, well then it just goes on autopilot. This is the very thing, this is the very thing that encases us, that entraps us. This is the rock that we're in. Uh, it's the rock of the flesh. It's all the lies. Um, and the only way to get free of that is to stop to work at not running those old tapes, having that false faith, and rather to have the faith that what God says about you is true. This is why so many, so many people, they believe what the Bible says. You believe it. You're sincere. I believe that uh, who I am in Christ, and, and I believe that God looks like Jesus, and I believe all that, but I don't experience any of it. And it's because what's concrete in your head is not that. You know, the, the commercials on television, they get in concretely. The memories are there concretely. You know, all the stuff in the world is there concretely, and, and we'll be shaped according to that unless we change what we are focused on, what we are making concrete. What is your hypostasis? What is your alpizo? What's your hypostasis? What's your elenkos? Uh, that determines the direction of your life. All right? What do you have faith for? So, folks, here's the thing. It's so important that we believe what the New Testament says about us, who we are in Christ. Because uh, if you don't believe it, you'll never be able to, to envision it. Uh, it's important that we believe, for example, that in Christ... Uh, we are made holy, and we are filled with his love, and filled with his joy, and filled with his peace, and on and on and on. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. Believe that. But see, if, if you only believe that as information, if that's all the farther it gets, it's not going to affect you at all. It's not going to transform you at all. It's not gonna, the, the memory of the rape or the memory of the rejection, that, that's going to keep on working on you concretely, and you'll be feeling that, and therefore be moving in that direction. But all the stuff the Bible says about you, it will have no effect. You'll just, you'll just know it, but that doesn't do anything. Um, the important question is, can you go beyond just believing it and have faith? Can you exercise faith that what the New Testament says about you really is true? Can you think as if it was true? Uh, because you believe it is true. Can, can you see yourself and, and ask the question, what does it look like for you? And what does it feel like for you? Uh, and do this concretely, vividly, as vividly as you can in real life. What do you look like and what do you feel like when you put on display that, that, uh, um, that in Christ you're filled with his love? Uh, and you put that on display in, in, in those situations where you tend to have the least amount of love. And what does it look like and what does it feel like for you to, to be um, manifesting that, that, you, you're, you, that you have Christ's holiness in situations where you tend to cave into temptation? Can you, can you see that? Can you envision that? What does it look like for you to manifest the truth that you're filled with that joy unspeakable and full of glory that the Bible talks about? And you can, can you see yourself doing that, manifesting that in situations where you, you tend to be most defeated and most depressed, where circumstances defeat you? Can you see this? Can you see, can you envision as a concrete reality, as a hypostasis? can you envision you being filled with the peace that passes all understanding and see it in the situations where you tend to most freak out can, can you envision this? Because, see, this is the thing that calls forth uh, that true self out of that rock. You know, maybe all your life, or 
at least for the last 10 years, I've been working at this place, and there's all this, this gal there that you just can't stand, Snippy Sue. She's always snipping. She's just such an ornery, nasty person. And whenever you come in, she starts snipping at you. Snippy Sue. She snips at you, and she snips and snips all day. It's a Dr. Seuss moment here. Uh, yeah, Snippy, Snippy Sue snips at you. She snips and snips all day. So you snip right back with a snip attack uh, to make Snippy Susie pay. Yeah, that's what, how it goes. So this is how it's gone on for 10 years, right? Okay, that's how you've been, but is that really you as you are in Christ? Is this the way a person who is holy and full of love and joy and peace responds to Snippy Sue? It's not. But, but you will keep on doing this as long as this is the way, this is the kind of faith you have for yourself. You're just a snippy kind of person just like Sue. But can you see yourself responding differently to snippy Sue? How does a person who is holy, righteous, and, and filled with love and joy and peace respond to snippy Sue? Maybe, and can you see this? Envision this. Envision this as a concrete reality. Instead of snipping back, you pray a blessing over her. You agree with God that she has unsurpassable worth, and you pray for her. And, and you offer to get her coffee, and you find something to compliment about her, and uh, you affirm something there. Uh, you know, you, you respond differently. You ask if there's something you can help with her workload. Uh, you, you respond out of kindness and love. Maybe you find an opening to spend some time with her to find out why she's so snippy. You don't ask her that question. That'd be rude. But, but maybe you'll find out that she's coming from a really nasty environment, and that will lead you to have compassion towards her rather than judgment. Can you envision this? Because if you can't envision it, you're never going to become it because you already are it, but it'll be concealed in the rock until you begin to free that thing by having a faith that lines up with what God says about you. See, some people feel like when they practice this, it feels like they're pretending. I've had this response. Oh, it feels like I'm just pretending. Let's pretend like I can really respond in a nice way. Now listen, follow this. It would be pretending if it wasn't true. And you're actually having an elpizo that it's not true, an expectation that it's not true, by thinking that you're pretending by thinking it is true. See? Um, but see, if you believe, if your alpizo is that it is true, then you're not pretending when you think this way. You're just getting your brain to line up with what is true. In fact, if it is true that you are holy and full of love and joy and peace in Christ, then if you see yourself any other way, that's pretending. You're thinking wrongly when you see yourself other than the way God says it's true about you. You're just now getting your thought to line up with, with the truth of who you are in Christ. Now, here's the thing. Anytime you do a new thing in your head and think a new thought in your head, it feels like you're pretending because it bounces up against all the other stuff you've always been doing in your head, and that feels real to you because you've always been doing it. So, of course, a new thought is going to feel like you're pretending. Don't worry about it. Keep on doing it. Over time, that will start to feel real, and the other stuff will start to feel false, and now you're getting out of that rock. You see? Now, now you begin to be set free. Amen. Be transformed by the renewing of your imagination. Yes. Hallelujah. Um, the truth is you are holy and full of love and joy and peace. Just get your mind to line up with that reality. And folks, that's what it means to take every thought captive, right? If you're taking your imagine captive to Christ. The goal is to, is to have this so that we're doing it all the time, but it's got to start with some intentional moments where we practice this. Uh, this is what it means to think about what is good and lovely and, and noble and true. Uh, what is the good you, the noble you, the true you? Think on that, Paul says, which means imagine that, envision that. And the vision is what begins to call you out of the rock that you've been encased in. According to your faith, be it unto you. You envision it. It creates a conviction that it is so. It begins to feel more real. It begins to be manifested in your behavior. That's how this works. This is how we work with the Spirit in, in, in getting rid of that rock. We call forth that true self. It's like Jesus calling forth Lazarus, right? Lazarus, come out of the grave. Because now that you're alive, you don't belong in any dead tomb. Dead people belong in, in tombs, but you're alive. You don't belong in there. That's not the true you. Get out of there. 
You see, this is what we're doing. It's time to call. You've been in this tomb of the old self that you got from mom and dad and grandma and past experiences and being beat up on on the playground and rejected by best friends and all of that. All that is encasing you in a tomb. It's a death you. It's the flesh you. No, but it's the Spirit of God wants to work in us to say, come out, come out, come out. It's, a time, it's time to come out. That, that holy you, come out of that death tomb of sin. That loving you, come out of that death tomb of, 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 of hatred and apathy. That joyful you, come out of that tomb of, of, of despair. That peaceful you, come out of that tomb of anxiety. Be the true you you were meant to be by getting rid of everything that's not part of that true self. And that is what faith is all about. That is what faith is all about. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Michelangelo, he could see, he could see the, the, the sculpture in the rock. It was already there. It was already there. He just needed to free it. That's what we're doing in, in spiritual formation. Uh, we've, but if you can't see it, you don't know what to shave away uh, and, and, and what to keep. No, you've got to be able to see it. And the very act of seeing it and affirming it, you're agreeing with God, getting your mind to line up with God. And he's wired things such that as you see it, it produces a sense of reality. It becomes part of your living experience. And now you are being set free. So folks, he, I'll conclude with this. I encourage us in three things here. Number one, the goal is to take every thought captive, right? But that requires a tremendous amount of awareness. And we have habitually done autopilot with the old self, the flesh self, the false self. Uh, You can't run a marathon before you run 100 yards. So I encourage us to take time, carve out some time where you, and this will feel weird, but but, because we never do this, but it's so important where we intentionally think true thoughts. <laughs> Imagine true things. See yourself as you truly are in Christ. Um, it, it might help to do this. Can you show that, the, the snowman in a circle that I had before? Uh, you, know, you might, you might want to actually uh, draw a picture like this and write in the true you. What, what does the Bible say is true about you? And write that in there. And then write some of the rock things that are around you. And just you know, I, I, I itemize some of those things. You can make it as particular as you want. And, and now envision that. Run movies of that. You know, be a movie director of your own brain. And run scenarios where you envision this, especially in the circumstances where you tend to manifest it the least. And see, you're practicing for reality. In fact, you're participating in reality because you're affirming reality. Uh, but if you, we don't get good at anything that we don't practice. Nothing comes automatically. You've got to start, you've got to retrain your brain. You know, and this is what it is to have faith. You're exercising faith. Stop having faith in all the false stuff that you inherited from the world. Start having faith in the true stuff. And the more you do it, you can do this all day long. It's just that we'll never get to doing it all day long. We won't remember it until we're doing it intentionally in certain moments. And so ask the Spirit to help you. Sit down and run movies. Be a movie director of your own brain, but run true movies. Getting your mind to line up with what is true. A second thing is this. In worship, I encourage us to, to uh, enter it with faith. Faith that what we're singing about is actually true. Can we think as though it was true because we believe it is true? Uh, if you're worshiping, but all that's real to you is you're in a room with other people singing, well, that's not going to do much. Um, but if you enter into worship and now you can envision the one you're singing to, imagine, ask the Holy Spirit to help you in this. Imagine the one you're singing to and what you're singing about, the reality of it. The imagination is the inner sanctum, as the church has always taught. It's the inner sanctuary, and you enter a portal, you go through the portal that opens you up to the spiritual realm. And now you're, 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 the things of the Spirit become concrete and real and begin to impact you and transform you. Uh, you, you know, when we were singing earlier about that cloud, I see a cloud and the, the rolling thunder, and I enter in and I'm not afraid. I don't know what's going on in your brain, but, but I, I was surrounded by a cloud. 
And, and you know, it was, it was the presence of God. And, and we sang, yeah, show me your glory. Well, man, I've seen this radiant light like the Emerald City. And, and it's the glory of God. It, and it, 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 the Spirit just kind of brings it to you. But man, the, now you're entering into the reality of who we're singing to and what we're singing about. Is this just pretending? Well, think about this. If right now you imagine Jesus in this room, um, are you pretending? No, because Jesus is in this room. In fact, truth is, if you, don't think, if, if you don't imagine Jesus in this room, you're the one who's inaccurate because Jesus is in this room. So if you imagine Jesus sitting right next to you right now saying he loves you, you, you actually just brought your mind more in alignment with what was true than it was before. If you just think we're a bunch of people in a room in a void, well, that's, you're having the faith of an atheist. <laughs> to have a faith of a believer, a theist, is to see the room with people in it, sure. But the presence of God is here. Jesus is here. Angels are here. And, and if you can begin to see that, envision that, well, then it, begins, it feels real. It begins to impact our life. So when we enter the worship, make the choice to now, like St. Frank, like Francis said, lock that brain up in the imagination. Be captivated by Christ. Which is simply one way of saying, let every thought be captive to Christ. Let the thoughts of the song be captive to Christ. Finally, finally, uh, I encourage us to have times where we have a date with Jesus regularly, like once a week. And carve out a time where you get alone. I, I like to just turn off the lights, put on some soft music, because that uh, it inspires the imagination and makes us more pliable. Put on some nice, soft, beautiful music. And then just hang with Jesus, but do it while exercising faith. Uh, and, and so see Jesus, envision Jesus, however that works for you. Um, I, I often go to that oval of light in the middle of the forest that I talked about last week because it's easy for me to envision. And then I meet Jesus there. And um, he says to me all the things that he says about me in Scripture, but now he says it to me, and there's a world of difference. I, I, I love the information that God so loved the world that gave his only begotten son. But that doesn't do much to reverse the tapes that I got going on. But when I can see and I can hear and I can sense him saying it to me, Greg, I love you with an everlasting love. And I hear him say, there's no condemnation to mature in Christ, Jesus. And I hear him say, I sing over you and rejoice over you. I can even see him sometimes sing and dance over me. That's what my heart was created to, to, to experience, to know, to love. And now that begins to change me. That begins to change me. Uh, just enjoy Jesus enjoying you. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 3. And I wish I had time to talk in this whole chapter here. He's talking, this whole chapter is talking about how unbelievers have their mind veiled, but believers have a mind that's unveiled because the Spirit takes the veil away. And then he says, because of that, all of us with unveiled faces, and he's not talking about lit physical, he's talking about mental, we see the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror. Because it's not direct yet. We'll have that one day. Right now, it's mediated through our imagination, the mirror. And as we behold that glory, we are being transformed into that same glory, from one degree to another. Whoa. It's what we see that determines what we're going to become. You think this is an important topic? It doesn't get more important than this. It's what we behold that decides what we're going to be. Can you see the glory? And see, as I behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, you begin to take on that according to your faith be done to you. Have faith in that as a substantial reality, and you begin to grow in that direction. It's not how hard you try, what seminar you went to, what book you read, what information you've got. That's not what's going to transform you. It's what you behold between your ears that is most influential in moving the direction and the quality of your life. Uh, spend time beholding the glory of God. As I see him love me, I become more loving. As I see him rejoice over me, I become more joyful. As I see his peace towards me, despite the fact that I'm not yet per perfected, well, then I have peace. You see, uh, all that is his by nature becomes mine by grace as I envision it, as I behold this. Spend time with Jesus. And sometimes you might find 
uh, that uh, all of a sudden you're back in some kind of a memory, a concrete, vivid memory. And Jesus doesn't change the past, but he can change the meaning of the past by going back there and, and doing some beautiful stuff that you would never make up on your own. That's how you know you're talking to the real Jesus. I talk about that in the book, Seeing is Believing. I don't mean to be promoting my books here, but it's, it's, it's a resource there if you want to go more deeply into it. Uh, seeing is believing, spending time with Jesus. As we leave here, would you stand? And uh, I want to encourage us. First of all, if you're here and have any need that could use prayer, come on up here and, uh, by the stairs and these folks would just love to spend time praying with you. Don't leave here with that burden uh, on your own. As we, the most challenging part of this is to apply it consistently and regularly. As we leave here, can we do it as a people who are saying, Holy Spirit, remind us. Nag us if you need to. Holy Spirit, nag us. To remind us to be thinking true thoughts. Turning our imagination on what is true, uh, not what is false. Uh, can we do it as a people who are committed to getting out of the tomb that encases us? By agreeing with God, imaginatively, concretely, that everything he says is true, is in fact true, and we commit to thinking that way. If you agree with that, say amen. amen. God bless you guys. Go out. Get out of the tomb. Amen.